Looking for top tier talent and more profits for your business? Get real in the greater Rochester, New York region. With a highly skilled workforce and commercial real estate rates 49% lower than the national average, companies with 50 or more employees can make profits of $1 million a year more in Rochester than in other high-tech hubs like Boston, New York, DC, or San Francisco. Contact Greater Rochester Enterprise and get started today at rochesterbiz.com. One in four women and one in six men are survivors of sexual abuse or assault. That means you or someone you know has survived an external and internal battle for your soul, which most often no one else will ever see unless you tell your story. This is Journey On, Survivors Healing from Sexual Abuse and Assault. My name is DJ Burr and I'm a survivor. I was molested at 16 years old and raped at 18. I didn't know what surviving looked like back then, but I do now. Join me as I talk with survivors and hear their experience, strength, and hope on the road to recovery. Hear our stories and share your own. You are not alone. Welcome back to Journey On, Episode 1, Part 2. I will be talking with Nanette Kirsch about her personal experience being a survivor and how it influenced her work on writing Denial. Welcome back to Journey On, Survivors Healing from Sexual Abuse and Assault. I'm DJ Burr, and today I am speaking with author Nanette Kirsch, and she has been sharing with us about her experience writing the book, Denial, Abuse, Addiction, and a Life Derailed, which is a true life story of her friend, David Wagner, who was abused when he was a young child, and he went on to lead a double life and ended up committing suicide. And Nanette was here to share her experience, Strength and Hope, about the experience of writing the book for David and for survivors. But now she's going to talk to us about her experience because Nanette is also a survivor. Nanette, welcome back to the show. I'm glad that you're here to... Thank you, DJ. You're welcome. I'm glad that you're here to, to tell us about your story and how you've been impacted by sexual abuse. I am um, happy to do it. And as I, as I shared with you offline, I actually have not... Um unpacked my story in any kind of public way before and so um, I'm glad to do that here and I think it's the right audience and the right reason to do so and so I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Well thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, for sharing your story uh, with the world because I imagine that your story is full of hope just like David's. It is and it's interesting I think um even as friends in, in his death, our stories have become intertwined. And um, really, it wasn't until I confronted my own issues um, from my past sexual abuse that I was equipped to go back and write the story. And when we talked in the last segment, um, I mentioned to you that he died in 2009, but I didn't start the book until five years later. And I think that it's worth kind of sharing that genesis because um, I am married. I've been married for 25 years. I have four kids, and I have a um, pretty happy life. And um, I knew his story. I knew what had happened to him, and I didn't really feel any special call to that story, honestly, until um, my husband confronted me with 
um, just lingering effects of my abuse. I didn't know that was what they were at that time, but I, um, I think the term for it is sexual anorexia. I had a ton of anxiety and um, really well-honed avoidance techniques <laughs> um, for intimacy. And so it had um, been an issue in our marriage. I didn't think it was a huge issue, um, but my husband felt otherwise. And so um, I think it was around 2013, um, I had been praying about just having a closer walk with the Lord. I um, had been very active in my faith as a Christian, but um, had just felt, I guess, motivated to invite God to remove any obstacles that remained between us. And it was probably two days after that that um, my husband confronted me about my, our sexual relationship. And he just said that um, I was getting worse, not better, that he was at a point where he was prepared to live platonically with me rather than continue to just battle this. And um, he just encouraged me. He said, you know, God created sexuality. I think you need to go read about it and read what he had in mind and the fact that it was supposed to be a really good thing. <laughs> and for you, it's not been. And so um, I took him at his word. I actually, I did those things. And um, in the process of that, um, engaged with a Christian counselor who helped me put some of those pieces together and um, really understood that something I had dismissed. I, you know, my book was is called Denial. I was in denial as well because I was functioning in life and at different points in time would take out what had happened to me and take a look at it and then decide, nope, it really wasn't impacting me. I was fine. And I would um, sort of elicit um, agreement from other girlfriends who hadn't been through that, but, you know, similar married attitudes about sexuality and, and convinced myself that it was fine and it wasn't a problem. And so I'm really grateful um, that I had somebody who loved me enough to tell me it was and to help me confront those challenges and pursue recovery. And um, I learned a lot through that process, both about myself and how deeply actually that abuse had affected my life in a lot of different realms. Um, and as I came through that and had that understanding, actually what you said at the beginning was what drew me back to the story, which was why did I survive and my friend didn't? And what, what was the difference in the turning points in our journeys that allowed me to still be here? And I think the answer to that's really important for anybody who's been through that experience. And what was the turning point for you? Was it was it your husband or was it what you learned in, in the process of recovery or both? I think it was both. I think it was having somebody who loved me enough to confront me with the things that weren't going okay and the things that I was living in denial about. And then it was really being willing to look at myself and look at what happened and, and make those connections. So a couple of things I think that came out of it and um, maybe, maybe I should go back actually and tell you a little bit about the abuse itself so that there's a context that um, your listeners can work with me on. Um, my abuse actually happened when I was in high school. I was, I think I was around 15 years old. I know timelines get very confusing when you're looking back on your childhood, but it was a, it was a high school teacher. It was a man who had come into our school. Um, he had actually come as a speaker the year prior to becoming a teacher and um, as typical teenage girls you know any young even semi-attractive man we all thought he was really hip and cool and um, when he came back the next year as a teacher we were all really excited that that was the case and um, 
I became an object of special attention pretty quickly. And I had never had that. I had never been a teacher's pet. I was sort of a vanilla kid that blended in. And I liked that a lot. I thought that felt really good. And so um, we would stay after school and we would talk with him. And um, one of the, when I look back, I guess I, I could really see a lot of the grooming that happened and just how completely naive and unequipped I was. Um, but he had told me that I looked like a girl who had been in the school several years before that he had been with his favorite student or something. And so we got the yearbooks and we tried to look for a resemblance and didn't really see one. Um, but then that summer, um, my friend who was um, sort of a little more mature, little bad influence, I guess I would say, um, took me, drove me over to his house. She was driving, I was not. And um, said that he wanted to talk with me. And so she didn't stay. And I was really nervous because I knew I was out of my depth and um, wasn't really sure what I was doing there. And in that um, conversation, he told me that he was in love with one of his students and he didn't know what to do about it and for whatever reason thought that I could be a good counsel and, of course, wanted me to guess who that was. And I guessed a group of other girls in my class, and as I'm sure you know, it was me. And um, I declined that. I just said, you know, that's not – I can't do anything about that <laughs> and left. And um, I wish my story ended there. I really do. But for some reason, and I'm sure that, well, I am confident, actually, that I was so groomed by that point. There were a number of things that had happened throughout that school year um, that I'm sure he knew I was going to come back around. And I had written, I wrote a letter, and I don't even know what I said in the letter, but somehow expressed some opening, created some opening that, um, that opened that door for him. And so... Um, ironically, the first time he took me anywhere, he drove me out to a state park um, near our home, and the first person that we saw was the same girl who he told me I looked like. And um, she was running, and so he stopped the car and introduced me and said, she's something to the fact of the new you, and I'll never forget her just looking at me and saying, good luck. Oh, my. Um, and so... <laughs> Yeah, I've thought about her often. I wish I could have talked to her. Um, but so, yeah, and I don't, I don't have a lot of specific memories about the abuse. Um, he, didn't, he didn't take my virginity from me. I, didn't, um, I was able to resist that, and I knew I needed to do that. But I, certainly I was a very naive girl. I had not had any kind of physical encounters aside from my first kiss. And so it was a terrifying um, and completely shaming experience even then. And um, he, it was sort of a terrorism thing where um, he would consistently let me know that he had access into my world. And while he didn't overtly threaten to tell my parents or people who knew, that pressure was there very, very clearly. So he um, made a point of sitting across from my mom at the parent-teacher conference and then telling me that he sat at the same table with her and, you know, she had my eyes and the way she looked at him. He showed up at my workplace. I worked for um, my mother's friend selling uniforms and um, his wife wore uniforms and he brought his wife and his wife knew she was complicit in it and actually had been a former student as well. She was a second wife and um, they both um, seemed to have a fascination with young people, um, they, which was really concerning. 
but she was knowledgeable and complicit in my abuse. Um, and then he would call. He would have that same girl who took me there the first time call me because it was before cell phones <laughs> and it was, you know, before um, any way to get in touch with someone directly. There was only the home phone line. So she would call me and then um, tell me that he wanted to talk or connect us somehow. Um, so I think it went on for about six months and um, it was overwhelming. My grades plummeted. My behavior in school became an issue. And I was truly, DJ, the ultimate good girl. I mean, I did not challenge my parents, make waves. I was just a very compliant, probably too much so, obviously. Um, but all of that started to change for me. And the pressure and the guilt and the pain of it was just about to, it was overwhelming me. I could not function. Um, and for me, when I look back, I really saw the next moment as the first real manifestation of God in my life in, a, in an incredibly powerful way. But I um, had been dissolved in tears in our basement, just crying. I was babysitting my siblings then. And my parents came home and asked me what was wrong. And I, I wouldn't tell them. Um, but I knew then I, I said, I can't do it anymore. And um, I just found this inner strength. And I knew that if I went in and said, I'm done, I can't do this, that all I needed to do was withstand whatever came next and that I could leave free. And so I did. I walked in and I said, I can't do this anymore to myself, to my family, or to God. I, I can't. And um, I remember sitting on the couch and he put his head in my lap. This is an adult man. I'm a 15-year-old kid. Put his head in my lap and cried and called me a cold-hearted bitch. And um, I just sat there. I remember just sitting there staring ahead thinking, just just wait. <laughs> and I left, and, and um, I was free. But sadly, I never told anyone, and within weeks, he had moved on to someone new in the school, and it just continued. And um, that is a regret for me. I don't know where he is. I never spoke out. I never pursued anything legally. Um, and I, I wish I had, because I would have liked to have been able to spare. I did actually confront the girl he targeted next and said, I've been where you are, and it's not good, and you need to get out. But she didn't believe me at the time, unfortunately. Oh, my God. I am so, uh, that's so scary to have this authority figure, someone you're looking up to, someone maybe even you had a, a small you know interest in as a young girl would with an attractive student and he took advantage of that um that is mind-blowing that he had uh all of these uh prior victims in his like corner right like mm -hmm. his wife and the girl who brought you to his house and Ah, oh, I have never heard a story like that. Oh, man. Well, it was interesting, too. One of the things I struggled with a lot is um, we all kind of knew that he had a reputation like that when he came in, which means the administration knew. He was friends with the principal. I was in a Catholic school. And um, I always had a lot of anger toward the principal because I didn't understand why she would bring someone back with a known history and put us at risk. And, and I had always viewed her to be a very good person. And so that was just one of those unresolved things in my life um, that caused me real pain. And interestingly, again, when I talk about just the connections of this book in my life, 
um, when I started to write it, because I had not written a book before, I was a marketing writer, I reached out to my old high school English teacher. Um, so kind of interestingly, <laughs> well, I'll finish that story. I reached out to my old high school English teacher and asked her if she would be an advisor to me on the book, and she agreed. And so I shared my story with her and my heart for this story for writing this book, and she did not know about my abuse. And I told her how painful it was to me that they, you know, that um, the principal would have done that. And um, she said that she did not think that they had any idea and that she had a um, sort of misplaced mothering instinct that um, she was a very caring person and thought maybe that she could bring him in and nurture him out of his bad behavior. Um, and that just clearly was not the case. Um, but it did give me some peace from that. Um, wow. So she thought she was going to fix the predator. Exactly. Oh, exactly. man. Uh, I, I hate to hear but that's that. that's the other piece. Is, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying I hate to hear that. You know, sometimes we think that we can go in and fix other people, but uh, they have to be willing to fix themselves. I, I think it's a great point. There was no indication that his... Um, instincts were changed maybe just the fact that he was getting married that she thought that that would do it but there were no safeguards and i think that i do believe everybody's life is valuable and that even the predators need compassion and need support but you don't do that in a context that would put other people at risk exactly and that to me is very misplaced <laughs> Ooh, heavy stuff so you're having to kind of go through your own journey while helping prepare to tell David's journey. And I imagine that there must have been some times when you might have felt overwhelmed. And I think you actually said that in the first segment about being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a bit about that and how you took care of yourself during this process? That's a really good question. Um, so yes, it, it was overwhelming because in order to write the story, all I had were some true events, some documentation. I had to draw a lot on my own experience as well to tell the story. And so to write the scenes, there's a couple of scenes of abuse um, in the book that are very, very restrained, I think, um, in the telling, but they still um, packed an emotional punch. And I think my goal was not to overwhelm people with the troubling images, that sometimes that stops people. Um, right, that people who are not connected to abuse, it's any, and even more so people who are, I guess, it can be triggering, it can be difficult, and your your point can get lost. And so I was restrained in the physical part, but very, um, I dug very deep in myself to write the emotional part of what it really felt like as a kid um, and the mix of emotions that you feel both about yourself and what's happening to you. And um, those were wrenching scenes to write that when I was done with that, my adrenaline was just crazy and I just had to really debrief and process those emotions. And I had, um, you know, a couple of great people that came alongside me that um, would let me kind of reflect on that and talk about it and work through it and process it. And then I also was still working with my counselor. He was an advisor on the book. And so we would talk through some of that and an understanding David's life come to new understandings in my own as well. Hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad that this has been such a re rewarding experience for you. 
Now, I recall you said that this is the first time that publicly you've shared your story. Um, I imagine that you thought about that before coming on today's show. Will there be, would, do you think that there will be some, any ongoing discussions with like your family or friends now that your story is, is coming out? Um, perhaps. I think um, my family all knows now that there, um, obviously one of, one of the um, real cross points for me was in the preface of the book. I did acknowledge that I had been abused, um, and that was, I guess that was technically my first disclosure, right? Um, but I just put it in there, and it was a real struggle for me to leave. It's one sentence. It was a real struggle to leave it in because I knew that there were people close to me I hadn't told, and I didn't want to create, make it about me. I didn't want, I didn't want to disclose my story, and um, I felt like it would be disingenuous to write a book called Denial and Be in Denial. And so um, I left it in, and um, I had then had to have conversations with my children and um, other people close to me, my family of origin, um, kind of a range of ways people have received it. So um, there's definitely some pain and broken relationships for now in my family of origin, and my kids have received it really well. They all came to my launch, and they supported me. And, um, and they continue to. And again, I think it's, I have compassion on both sides. You know, I, as I've said to my family of origin, it's a lot easier to stand up in a room full of strangers and tell them what happened because it doesn't cost them anything. Um, when you were there for it and, you know, have, I think there's a whole different set as parents. We feel guilty. We think we should have known. Yep. We would have wanted to do something different, right? And um, even when I think about my own kids, I think if something like this had happened to them and they didn't tell me, I would feel hurt that they didn't trust me enough, right? That, you know, um, and so, but that's not what it's about, nope. right? As a survivor, I know it has nothing to do with, with them and my love and my trust. It had everything to do with how I felt. And so um, I think everybody just needs space to process those things. And I'm hoping that with the conversations I'm having with my kids, I'm creating a different model for the future that it's not a great feeling to have your teachers and people in the community there and have your mom standing up saying that she was sexually abused, but I wasn't ashamed and I wasn't crying and um, torn apart. I was taking power back in my life by saying, this is what happened to me. It wasn't okay. And it wasn't my fault. And I think they were proud of me. And hopefully when they encounter difficulty and brokenness in their life in whatever form it is that they'll know that it's okay and it looks good <laughs> when someone you love can say that and that the good blessings that come in from that are well worth the cost exactly when i hear someone um, tell me a story that they've kept hidden i say thank you thank you for sharing because it takes a lot to be able to to own your your truth uh, especially when there's been abuse, trauma, you know, denial, shame, anger, fear. I mean, all of the emotions are involved in that, the process of, of keeping those secrets. And to heal, we have to share. And, and that's why Journey On exists today. And I'm so thankful to have had you on the show today, Nanette. And I am blessed to, to know you and to have read your book, the book is fantastic. I, listeners, please go to denialbook.com 
and and grab a copy and Annette has, has generously offered a 15% discount if you use the promo code journey on and I want you to stay tuned for the bonus episode because Nanette's husband is going to come on. So we're going to wrap this session up. And Nanette, you know, you're you're stuck with me for another 10, 15 minutes, and I'm glad. Um, it's been a it's been a real <laughs> treat to to talk to you for these two segments, and I'm looking forward to the bonus episode. Thank you, Nanette, for being a guest and a friend of the Journey On podcast. It has been a pleasure working with you this season, listeners. Download the bonus episode featuring Annette, myself, and her husband as we talk about what it's like for him and his experience witnessing her struggle and her recovery. We will have another new episode next Sunday, so make sure you come back. Visit journeyonpod.com, download us on iTunes or Google Play, and make sure you share our podcast with your friends on social media. Thank you for joining me for this awe-inspiring episode of Journey On. I invite you to get in touch with me if you want to share your story. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at djburr1022 and on Instagram at thedjburr. Survivors are also welcome to join our private Facebook group, Journey On Survivors, at www.facebook.com groups slash Journey On Survivors. And finally, The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person sharing them. Take what you like and leave the rest. I encourage survivors to share their stories authentically, and I believe every guest on my show has. I value the strength and courage it takes to publicly share our recovery journeys. Please respect yourselves and each other. Till next time, breathe deep and journey on.